Zeb Jackson, I have been wanting to talk to you for months now. It feels like a lifetime, actually, since the floods first happened. I was kind of keeping an eye on what you're doing on the freedom side, the truth-telling side of social media. Obviously, you've been doing some really good stuff since all of this nightmare began. But something happened when you saw the flooding and the damage and the suffering in Hawke's Bay. You, to me, if it weren't a corrupt system, should be the New Zealander of the year, Zeb, and I don't say that lightly. What you did right from the beginning of that suffering period in Hawke's Bay is just extraordinary and all New Zealanders should know about it. So take us back. What, what did you feel when you first realised and when did you first realise how serious it was for Hawke's Bay and Gisborne? Well, first off, Liz, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you. As as uh, you said about me, I've also been watching you from afar and really, really enjoy the content that I see you putting out quite regularly. So thank you for everything you're doing. As far as uh, what I felt when I first uh, sort of started seeing what was happening and what was going on, I didn't really realise the enormity of it until I set foot on the land myself, until I got there on the ground myself um as you may be aware for the first week or so I was doing donation drives in Hamilton and in Waihi uh, before I went down myself in my house bus so it wasn't until I was actually feet on the ground shovel in hand boots on the mud that I actually realized the gravity at the amount of devastation that had that had hit Hawke's Bay it was just absolutely mind-blowing you know you see things on TV, you see things on TikTok, you see little snippets that people have put out, but it's not until you're actually there and you've got it right in front of your face that it really hits you and it hits hard, really what, hard. What is it, Seb? What, oh, you're giving me goosebumps, but what is it that, that does that? Is it the human suffering? Is it the animals? Is it the landscape, Mother Earth suffering? Is it just the whole thing is an overwhelm? I'd say it's a combination of everything. I mean, the one word I can really use to describe it is confronting, and I cannot stress that word enough. It's just so confronting and in your face. The people, the the human element, the mental health aspect of it, the dead animals, the ruined buildings, the roads, the atmosphere of, of the whole thing, entire suburbs just torn apart. It just, yeah, just very, very confronting and just so much different when you're right there in person dealing with it in front of your face. Yeah. Let's deal with that aspect now, because for me, Zeb, this is only really at the very beginning of the whole story of Hawke's Bay, and yet the mainstream media is basically now moving on and leaving it behind. And it seems to me that this Labour government has totally revealed them, their ineptitude, their, the impossibility of ever voting them in again, because they have turned their backs on this whole area of New Zealand. But we, the people, we need to keep going down there, don't we? And we need to keep supporting them. What do you say about that, the call out to all Kiwis watching this? Well, first off, just addressing uh, your statement about the media providing initial coverage and then it seems to be dying. Uh, what I'm hearing a lot of is people comparing it to uh, like a funeral, like attending a funeral, publicising a funeral, 
three days a week have gone past, you go home and leave them to it. Yet that's when everybody needs you the most. They need you to hold your hand, hold their hand. They need you to help them pull things back together so that they can start re-experiencing something even similar or close to normal once again, so that they can start feeling safe and secure in their own homes again. They really, really need people on the ground helping. Yeah, the words just absolutely escape me. I I wanted to get that up near the top of this interview, and we're going to deep dive into each of these, the media handling, the political handling of it, but also how the people are going. In fact, this week, um, because I couldn't get down there, the police assault that I had at the airport happened just around the same time, and I've been really affected by that, but it's coming right finally. But we're getting down there this week, and I'll talk to you off air about places to to go I would ask all New Zealanders to keep listening to this interview to Zeb's words to what she describes and then we all put our heads together and think how we can help these beautiful people of Hawke's Bay and Gisborne but Zeb take us back to the early days when you arrived there was the shock and then what did you do so what I did when I first got to Hawke's Bay is uh, just before arriving, I flicked a message out to a friend of mine, Penny Edwards, who I know has good links in the Hawke's Bay. And I said to Penny, hey, babe, I'm coming to town. Let's put a team together. Let's get out there and provide a bit of support to people who very obviously need it right now. Um, but uh, what what I didn't expect to find was when I got there and arrived and, you know, I had my gumboots in that mud um, was just uh, so many other people who were just like us who were trying to figure out what to do how to help who to approach where do we go you know a lot of homeowners weren't home they'd been you know moved on from their property for obvious reasons so contacting people to try and organize help for them was quite difficult in the beginning there was a lot of sort of um, headless chook running around you know if you saw someone on the street where are you helping do they need more people there or are you a property owner affected can we come and support you uh, there was a lot of humbleness going on from property owners the the whole she'll be right attitude we'll get there on our own kind of thing oh, yeah. uh, many property owners didn't want to reach out for help I, I guess there was an ele- element of pride maybe and I don't say that in a negative way no. don't take it that way it's at that all. brave but New Zealand you know I'll yes. it's too stark yes. we need each other and uh, we started to sort ourselves out, you know, I, I recognized almost immediately there was a lack of uh, logistics and organizations coordinating uh, in the area for the volunteers. So we got that up and running, we got it sorted. And then it, it was a really, really cool change in the air because we went from running around like headless chooks to knowing exactly what we were doing, where we were going, what machinery we needed, what equipment we needed, and, you know, just getting all of those things sorted. And it started running really, really smooth. The only problem was <laughs> I was trying to manage it all on my own. <laughs> you were and, uh, and doing was, crosses to let the mad. rest of us know what was happening. That was incredible. Right. And doing it from your house bus. Doing it from your house yes. bus. So yes. was it just starting and, to be overwhelming? Do you mean in terms of just incoming? Can you help here? Can you help there? Or did you have really, teams that it, yeah? It really was. Yes, so I had, I didn't have anyone in a responsibility sort of role when I first arrived and started getting things going. It was really difficult, organising meals, organising transporters for trucks that were out of town, organising, I was still bringing donations in from out of town at that stage. My cat had given kittens in that first week of being in Hawke's Bay. I was driving these brand new kittens out into these contaminated, horrible sites to have brand new baby kittens. Um, 
you may have seen I put a call out uh, asking if anyone had a ute that I could borrow a truck because it just wasn't it really wasn't working what I was what how I was doing things but it had to be done there was no other option I had the ability and the means to be able to do it so I had to do it it really wasn't a choice that I felt that I had there I'm going to take issue with you there totally was another option Zeb there was the government could have come in with the army and the navy and had a major military operation to help and clean up and organize and then factor in all of you volunteers. I have to ask this, what did you see as far as government or military presence, urgent evacuation, urgent help from the military at the government's behest? Did you see that in the early days when you were there? Uh, actually, it was a good week or two before I saw my first military vehicle uh, and how long was I there? Seven weeks? I did not once see a stopped military vehicle. I only ever saw them driving past. I never saw a military personnel outside of vehicles. I only ever saw them inside their vehicles. Uh, police, I did see I did see a good police presence in certain areas, but not, not in the areas that really, really needed the immediate support and the urgency that was required. I did not see anyone wearing a Red Cross uniform. I did not see any vehicles labelled as Red Cross. I did not see anyone who identified themselves as being from Red Cross. I did not see any counsellors or um, mental health crew. Oh, wait, I did see one lady who was wearing a welfare vest. I don't know what organisation she was from, but I did see her on two occasions. Um, but I would have expected to have seen a hell of a lot more. I mean, these people's, their lives have been ripped out from underneath them. Where is the help? Where's the support? It wasn't there. So I just had to do something. It's shocking, Zeb. It was, it from afar, it just looked like it was left up to volunteers from the good-hearted Kiwis. And what do we pay our taxes for? Part of it is if there is an emergency, the government will coordinate a massive effort to get us out of that and yet to me they have utterly failed. That's frightening about the Red Cross too. I think they had close to a million at least in donations, if not more. That, that is something a lot of people are writing to me about. Where are the Red Cross donations? Why aren't they in there being active? So you're saying you got around the area quite a bit or were you based in one area more than any others? What, what did you see? How wide a spread did you have to gauge this? I was based mainly in the Pakofai area. We sort of found a little zone there where we started really connecting with the homeowners and the, and the locals out there. And sort of one job led us to another, which led us to another, which led us to another. So, and we found it quite good because it, it was quite expensive having to transport our equipment around to different suburbs and different sites. So keeping the crew in one area was really uh, helpful for what we were doing. There wasn't a lot of other help in that area, so we felt like we really had our niche there. Um, but we also we did do a lot of work in the Waihiki area as well. We went out to Pukatapu a couple of times, and we also went out to uh, Esk, Esk Valley. Mm. Esk Valley. Sorry, I get really confused between Esk Valley, Esk View, and Esk Dale. I know they're <laughs> all in Hawke's Bay, and I just I get confused. <laughs> Esk Valley and Pukatapu were some of the worst areas, and that would have been ideal ground for the army to roll in with large groups of men. These houses in there, I gather, were full of silt. Some of them, right up to the roof, weren't they? They were just they were just uninhabitable. Oh. 
Absolutely. There were houses with silt piled up on the outside of the houses where you could walk up to the house and your feet would be level with the top of the windows. Oh, my God. And that was not exceptional, Zeb. That was not unusual in those really hard-hit parts. No, no. Entire streets were like that, and they still are. You've sent us some very strong material. I want you to set up this piece. Um, you sent me through site evacuation. Just tell us a bit about this piece because we're going to edit some of your work in. Oh, and yes. again, praise to you for capturing it on film. This will be part of what will form the historical record of what has gone on, Zeb, thanks to you. So we had one particularly scary sort of day working on site. It was a Friday. I remember it being a Friday. There was forecasted rain. We were keeping an eye on the levels of the river and things like that. But surprisingly, it was a bright blue sky. Everything was sunny. It was great. We had three or four diggers down there, a couple of water blasters. The crew were going hard. We were having a great day. It was just after lunch when all of a sudden this really, really strong wind just kicked in seemed like it was out of nowhere it was so strong things were blowing around you know leaves were forming those little circly things and um before we knew it within five minutes it was not only sort of raining it was pouring with such force normally I wouldn't run out of the rain I'd just walk and venture into a little you know hidey hole of some sort but this had me running I actually had to shut off my camera I don't usually shut off the camera it's waterproof I keep it going but I had to shut this off so that I could race and get out of there. And uh, we got into the shed. We sort of sheltered a little bit, tried to figure out our next steps. We just couldn't believe how hard it was pouring down on us and so just how fast it had come in. Uh, someone came up the driveway and said, hey, the road's starting to flood. And uh, we took one look at the road and we had to make a call. At first, it was grab what gear you can, get out. But within 30 seconds, it was really obvious ditch the gear, get out of here, guys, get to your vehicles. It was quite a long driveway. We were running up this driveway to try and get to our vehicles. By the time we got to our vehicles, you know, there was surface flooding on the road. It was really scary. We had to race out of there. And I'm sitting in my vehicle going, oh, my God, I have hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of equipment in my name right now that I'm leaving in an area that has been prone to looting. What am I going to do? I... Anyway, it, it was a very scary situation, and I'm so glad we all got out of there safely, which was the main thing, and we were able to go back and get the diggers later that night. Hey guys, so I've just got back to our vehicle. We've just had to ditch all of our equipment, so we've got three higher diggers down there, our generators, water blasters, our port trailers, um, all our wheelbarrows and trolleys, like everything is still there. Um, we just had to grab everything we could and just leave so I'm just out here on the side of Brookfield Road now I'm about to leave but um yeah the water's really filling up I don't know if you can see down here in the in the gutter down there but it's starting to get kind of high so um I've instructed everybody to leave site pack up and go don't even don't even pack up just leave the gear and just get out of here safety first let's keep, keep the team safe um yeah, but I think that might be us for the rest of the day. I'll probably have to come back to site uh, tonight if I can to sort all our gear or first thing in the morning, but I'll figure it out. Anyway, that's the latest. <laughs> I mean, that is dramatic, Zeb. It's really dramatic what you were going through. So not only the dramas that you described earlier of 
of all of the traumas on the landscape and the people and the animals, but actually while you're clearing up and being this resilient, as you said, you're quite, you're quite happy some days as a little gang of good Kiwis doing good, weren't you? There were some days that in spite of all the horror, it was really quite heartening, but that was a, that was a scary experience. It really was, yeah. So what was it like when, as the Kiwis came in and they were all willing to roll up their sleeves and work? What was it you saw about the Kiwi spirit on the good days then? Oh, my goodness. It, it was just so heartwarming to see that all these people, and I have to say, of, of the 800 or so volunteers that came through the team in those few weeks, I have to say about... 80% of them were from out of town. They weren't even from Hawke's Bay. They were coming in from out of town off the skin of their own backs and they were coming to help. They weren't there wanting anything in return. It was like being able to help people was a blessing in itself. We had people fighting over the dirtiest jobs possible. Was, oh, was there really? mud and crap? And, you know, there was one house we went to and there was a tiny a tiny entrance to get under the house where all the mud and silt had to be hand dug out with a shovel. There were people fighting over that job. It wow. was nuts. People just wanted to help. Mm. There's something still in our New Zealand makeup. We saw it in Freedom Village that not the worst excesses of world economic interference in this country will stamp out. There is something very special about the Kiwi spirit, isn't there, Zed? Absolutely. Absolutely. It must have really heartened you. Let's go, though, to the horrors. I've alluded to this a couple of times of the animals. You told me off air a very poignant story about leaving Hawke's Bay. And do you know, Zeb, this story has haunted me. I realise how much of your heart you've put into this work you've been doing. Describe the dead animals, then we're going to get to that story of you looking down from the air. But what was it like? And we have photographs as well of this. So that, that first week or two especially was, was very hard uh, because we were dealing with and seeing a lot of dead animals. And, and I'm not talking about seeing dead animals hidden behind trees at the back of work sites kind of things. I'm, I'm talking about dead animals hanging from tree branches on main roads is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people piling up dead animals by their letterbox, like their rubbish bags ready for collection. I'm talking about trailer loads of calves coming in to be buried that haven't even died in the floodwaters. They've died because of the contamination after the floods. Oh, <sighs> God. Just horrible. Just horrible. I yeah. think one of the most, is it too hard to talk about this, Seb? I mean, there's trauma. Uh, it's a little bit hard, but, yeah. you know, it's it's real. It's the truth, and it is what happened. And The reason I yeah, want to talk about it is, is for those those animals, for the, for the owners of them, the people who've paid for them, for the horrors of this, and, again, underlining all the way. This is traumatizing for you. Imagine for the farmer. Imagine for, for the farmer and his family. The, the trauma on trauma on trauma and to think of this government turning its back on these traumatised good people. There was a pile of sheep. There must have been about, I don't know, a dozen or so sheep that were piled by a letterbox outside, just on the side of the road, outside of someone's property and um, just on top to the right on the photo, at the right end of the pile, you'll see a black, uh, a, a black animal there on top of the pile of white sheep. And uh, yeah, that was that was the poor wee uh, sheepdog. It was a black-looking collie, um, and 
as I mentioned to you previously, this this is the image that actually haunts me in my dreams. Um, yeah. Sorry. It's yeah. Um, it's very I um, those 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 animal images are really powerful, Zeb. Is it yeah. too much to say what you felt as you lifted off the ground, having done all these weeks in Hawke's Bay and you looked, yes. you looked down there? So, the, mm. the other element of that, just before um, I say that story, uh, was just the, the number of property owners that we were working with. So we would have tears from the majority of them. I would hear their stories and, you know, they would cry, I would cry, the whole team would cry, everyone would cry. But a common component in a lot of those stories was the fact that they had to sit up on their roofs and they had to not only watch their animals dying, their cows, wow. their sheep, their horses. They, they described to me how they would cover their heads and try not to watch, but the problem is they could still hear it all. And oh, that was the heartbreaking. There they are floating past the rescue boats as they're being rescued. It was just horrible. But um, yes, I mentioned to you that I actually flew out of Hawke's Bay for a few days. Uh, I tried to take a few days off, a little bit of a break. Um, it, it, it was a bit of a break, but it only meant that I wasn't on site every day. I was still running all the logistics from the background. But um, I, I've always been a good flyer. I've been fine flying. Um, but this particular occasion, very unexpectedly, uh, it turns out I'm not a good flyer anymore. <laughs> what happens? Um, and I say that uh, because, you know, everything was fine, checked in, got on the plane, stored my overhead luggage, sat in my seat, put on my belt, said hello to the person next to me. Everything was absolutely fine. The plane started, we taxied down the tarmac, the flight took off, everything's still fine. We start rising over the waters of Hawke's Bay. And we start turning across to head to our destination. And I make the silly mistake of looking out the window. And I look out the window and I look down and I remember my initial thought was how pretty it looked with the clouds and the, and the ocean below me. And then we came over the land and I saw all the flooded areas of Hawke's Bay that were still underwater. And all of a sudden it was like my brain just switched. And then all I could see looking down on Hawke's Bay in the ocean and in all the floodwaters all I could see was floating animals that was all I could see and I broke down pretty fast because all of a sudden I just could not get this image out of my head at all it was just so vivid and it was horrible and yeah I, I had a full-on panic attack in the plane <laughs> oh, it was not it was not gracious at all um, it was very difficult yeah. Did someone did someone come up to you? Was there someone there to help? Uh, yeah, so I actually had to catch two flights that day. That was my first one. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah, it was a bad day. It Zeb, was a really that, bad day. So, so the images, were, the animals were not actually floating there. It was like the flashbacks of all of it. So that's real, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps, that's real post-traumatic stress. There are ways through it, but as much as I, I, I don't want to belittle the horror of what you've gone on, I have gone through. But I want to say you are one, I bet, of many, many, many from Hawke's Bay who'll be having those flashbacks, Eve, who'll be having these Absolutely. traumas, who need Absolutely. love and support yeah. 
from this country and from this government and they are not getting it and you are not getting it. Are you okay now? Are you coming through it okay? It's going to take time, but I'm definitely working on it. Please, New Zealand, if you're watching this interview, please would you put money in for Zeb? Not only did she go through, I did ask Zeb when she was reluctant, but this is what we do at Free NZ. Let's help one another. Zeb not only went through this emotional trauma, but she also basically ran out of all her own money, used all her own funds for weeks and weeks to help others. And I know from a post I saw when I first reached out to Zeb, uh, one of the reasons you came back, Zeb, was because you you had bills to pay. You had a car and a, and a bus to fix up That's and you right. had things you had to do. So we need to help Zeb by putting money in her account. And I, I just ask everybody watching this to go to the panel, the number at the end of this, and put what you can, $20, $50, $100, 1000 if you can. Please be generous. This woman has worked on behalf of all of us to help. This is far better to put money here than in the Red Cross, I promise you. Um, Zeb, what were you going to say about, about the people? Because I think we move on from the animal stories to those stories of, of the people and what they went through. What were some of the things you heard? We met a beautiful couple, Victoria and Ryan, who lived in Pakofai, and they were they were just so gorgeous together, but they had the most horrific story to tell. It was just absolutely heartbreaking. There were several of them up on the roof for hours and hours and hours. The husband was in Cambridge, and he could not get through. He was on a electronic bracelet from a previous crime, I'm, I'm sure in the crime he's doing the time I'm not going to judge him uh, but he could not get to his wife and their 17 year old that they had in Pukofai who were currently on the roof of the flooded home they were on the second story of their, their roof and uh, they actually sent a couple of friends he contacted a couple of friends in Hawke's Bay who had jet boats and he sent two of his friends with two separate jet boats out to go and rescue his family off the roof of this house. The jet boats were stopped at all entrances by the police and told they could not go in to rescue this family. Oh, uh, no. The, Zip. The family ended up waiting on the roof for eight hours before they were finally rescued by Surf Lifesaving, who had only been advised of the emergency an hour earlier. Oh, my God. The police then, stopped people helping. The police actually stop people helping others. Yes. Then Ryan spent three days dealing with the courts, trying to organise a transfer from his Cambridge location with his electronic bracelet to get down to Hawke's Bay to assist his family and his parents in the repair and the cleanup of their home in Pukofai. After three days, he was successful in getting the transfer and he got to Hawke's Bay. The only problem was his electronic bail conditions said that he was not allowed to leave the property of the flood-affected home. He had no electricity, oh, no. no plumbing, no shower, no toilet, no nothing. He had cleaned out a shed where he parked a friend's van with a mattress in that he slept in every night. He was not allowed to go up the road to get food. He was not allowed to do anything. And he that was, was not corrections. That was the corrections department term. That was that was the term they put in. What has happened yes. to our bureaucracy? What has happened to our government? I mean, maybe we all need this much suffering to wake up and say, what kind of a government and government bureaucracy have we allowed in New Zealand? Because this has to stop. This has to stop. We'll put that interview, if you would send it through to me, underneath this, this one, Zeb, and we'll do that in full. Can you 
set, oh, it just breaks my heart. Can you set up the story of property owner Karen? We met Karen by chance, most beautiful woman in the world. She is an ex-police officer. She is in her early 60s and resides in Pukofai. She had horses there. She had sheep. Again, she had to listen and watch her sheep drown from the roof of her home. Uh, she had a tiny home, a little a little cottage there and a barn. And her property was just absolutely destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Karen was living there on her own. She moved a little caravan onto her property and she was just absolutely determined that she was not going anywhere. She was staying in Pukofai on her own property and, and that's just how it was going to be. Um, despite, you know, the fact that she had no plumbing, electricity, no sewage, no rubbish collection, no nothing, and the heavy presence of looters every single night. This woman was just absolutely determined, and she just blew me away with just how positive she still was about everything as well, despite everything just gone. Everything's gone. She had to leave her two horses on a stock bank and just pray that they made it, which which they did, thank goodness. Neighbours weren't as lucky, but she got her horses back. And yeah, we did so much work with this lady on her property. And she was just one of the one of the property owners that we were just so happy to help. She did come across a bit of an issue with security, which meant that we actually ended up moving on to her land with her and socializing with her and just getting to know her as a person and yeah, I, I think that's going to be a friend for life right there. And and even after after I'd handed over the funding and everything to the new team, I actually, when we went to leave, I realised that we would be leaving her without any toilet. So I actually went down to the building recyclers, got a whole lot of materials, went down and got hinges and things from Mitre 10. Mitre 10, this is, this is after all the funding was finished. I just did this out of my own money again. And uh, we built her a composting toilet, a permanent one, um, so that I could feel safe and secure knowing that she would always have a toilet after I'd gone um, you are at just... that time she, was, she just had a, port, a, a higher pool toilet there that nobody knew who was paying for yeah we didn't know when it was going to get picked up mm. you are such a wee hero you are such a powerhouse pocket rocket hero you're amazing I'm blessed today because I have you and many many helpers Aww. and I'm just so stoked for all the help that you are giving us in this community she is she is Zeb. She's extraordinary. What a woman. She's Just, amazing. I, yeah. I have so much love for her. Karen, hats off to you. You also one of our heroes. But what was it with the looting? Did you really see that it wasn't exaggerated, those reports of these ghastly exploitative human beings who could go to the area where humans are already deeply traumatized and look for opportunities for what? Stealing from houses or what were they there for? What were they looking to do? I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, what were they looking for? It was very much opportunistic. Uh, if I believe it was very much opportunistic. They would they would come out, just look around, shine some torches around, headlights around. They drive into your property, no care in the world. You know, nothing's stopping them. And they would yeah get out of their vehicles, have a hunt, see what they could see. Um, yeah, it, it was just absolutely horrible. Did you ever try approaching one, talking to one, saying, how could you do this? Were they, were they, did you ever get close, that close to somebody 
who could do this? Yes, definitely. So uh, one occasion at Karen's when I was staying there with her, uh, there was a suspicious suspicious vehicle that pulled into a neighbouring property. Uh, Karen didn't know the vehicle. We didn't recognise the vehicle at one that, as one that was usually in the area. So we sort of thought, okay, we better go check on the neighbouring property. So we began walking up the road and uh, the car slowly exited the property and it was coming towards us. And um, Karen, I think she just went into police mode a little bit, maybe, indicated for the car to stop. She wanted to have a word. I have never seen a car reverse so fast in my life. I've probably only seen cars reverse that fast on movies. It was nuts. There was no question whatsoever that something suspicious had been going on. It, oh, I couldn't believe it. And that same night, maybe an hour later, we had a ute come up the road that was slowly checking out properties. And we were nearby the road, so we went out again just to check. As it was an unfamiliar vehicle. It didn't belong to any of the properties neighbouring. And this car slowed down, stopped, and then sped at us so fast, I'm surprised nobody got hit. Sped at you? Yes, definitely. If we hadn't have got out of the way, we would have been hit. So there was mm. violence in what they were doing. There was intimidation as well as greed and exploit. Honestly, the karma of some of these human beings will be not nice in future lives. It, it will. Yes. What, what, would you, what would you say down the camera, Zeb? If, if any of those people and their scummy, shoddy actions are starting to weigh on their consciences, if they have a conscience, what would you say to somebody like that right now, knowing what you saw, knowing what you suffered with the people who were suffering? What would be your message to a looter? To be honest, Liz, I'm not sure if I'd waste my breath. You I think you like couldn't break through? Mm. I don't think so. If, if people like that are willing to to do that, to go that low to, you know, people who have been so badly affected, mm. then I feel like that would be a bad use of my personal energy, which is a precious resource. Yeah. I don't believe that a single sentence or a single word to them would, would be suffice to what they need. My message for what it's worth, Seb, would be there is no material possession that can bring to you the happiness that helping and serving other human beings brings. The one true path to happiness is helping others. And you had such an opportunity to drive up and help and serve and love and care and nurture. And instead you exploited and took and brutalized and intimidated. So you carry a very, very, very heavy weight with you going forward. Mm. And I think that saying the moral arc of the universe is long, it takes time sometimes, but it always bends towards justice. There'll be a rebalancing of that terrible action by them. Meantime, we move on to people whose actions are, are really... Could I just add one more thing to that? Yeah. I, I just wanted to let you know that something much less known is that the looting isn't just going on in the sort of way that you think it might be going on with people driving around it's actually there's actually a lot of white collar crime going on as well there are oh, excavator drivers who are driving up to property owners who did this in the first couple of weeks after it happened drove in knocked on doors offered their help and services no discussion of money or payment whatsoever and then a week later they've got thousands of dollars worth of bills in the mail oh they are, are being taken joking. advantage of by crooked 
operators who were going and offering help and then either just leaving leaving a bill in the mailbox on the way out or if they don't like working with the property owners they'll start threatening to send a bill when they've initially offered to volunteer it is horrible absolutely horrible it's crime in, in ways that you would never guess what has happened to portions of our country Zeb we were once such a caring decent people it just shows it filters like a cancer from the cancers at the top who have no integrity and then they seem to unleash this cancerous vein of a lack of integrity although there are still a lot who are caring but my god those people Mm -hmm. need those people are being re-traumatized like the COVID victims were being re-traumatized every time they went back to the hospitals. It's trauma on trauma on trauma. The COVID vaccination individuals I often interviewed and thought there's a secondary and a tertiary trauma on top of the initial one. And it sounds like the same thing here. Mm. How were they coping, Zeb? How, How many, when you got to a house, just broke down in your arms when you showed showed them humanity and kindness and everything that matters? real kindness it was interesting because I'd say 90 percent 80 to 90 percent of property owners broke down and they broke down for one of two reasons if it was early in the day they were breaking down because of the overwhelmingness of all the work that had to be done but there was a change in the air by the end of the day they'd still be in tears but it would be tears of thanks and tears of gratitude and tears of happiness which was just beautiful yeah How many wanted to stay there? How many wanted to do what Karen did and say, I'm staying no matter what? They're not red stickering me out. I didn't hear anyone as determined as Karen was, although there were a few top contenders. Uh, most people were were definitely planning on keeping their homes, restoring their homes. Uh, most of them are aware of the worrying aspects of red zoning without saying too much Mm. I'd say the majority of the suburb wants to stay Mm. they aren't necessarily living on their land right now but they want to be we won't get into this in this interview because this is really a fact-finding interview and this and this area is more surmising but I'm getting a lot of question marks and emails to me saying how heavily involved is this government in American Um, use of climate change technology that has now been established to have been going on for some decades in America, if not longer. And how willing would Christopher Hipkins have been to begin his um, term of office, should we call it, with a, a drama like this and how staged managed was it? Now, we don't know the answers to that, but when people write to me about that, I say these are valid questions. We can't find out until we have some honourable people in power who will perhaps be able to expose what might have gone on there. Did you, however, on the ground there, get locals who were asking those questions there? I need to ask that. Absolutely. There were a lot of property owners and locals who were questioning the government's response, uh, airing very strongly their disappointment in I guess, the expectation of a response versus the reality of a response or lack thereof. Somebody wrote to me and said, uh, 
Chris Hipkins, but it's it's this is not fact. I will report it as written to me, but not stated as absolute fact because it's still hearsay. But said Hipkins was overheard under his breath saying it's all going to be red stickered anyway, as if there was, you know, as if there was some bigger plan at play. We can only watch, ask the questions, help one another with the due diligence that we need to from people on the ground, and pray that we get media that can have access to the government and put the government on the mat about this as we come closer to the election. But at the moment, our mainstream media is not doing its job. What's your attitude to mainstream media and the reportage of it, Seb, of, of your awareness of it? <laughs> well, gosh, where do we start with that one? Mm. The level of bias in mainstream media is just crazy. It's so crazy. I I feel like mainstream media is just, you know, you turn off, you turn on your TV and it's just a case of, well, what do they want us to know about today? Yes. You know, it's not necessarily the most pressing matters or the most important things that need to be reported in the right ways, but it's what they need us to hear at that moment in time, what they need us to know. What is the bias? What do you see as the bias? You mean pro-government? bias is that what you're alluding oh, pro to pro-government bias absolutely the one source of truth the only way there is in New Zealand apparently they don't uh, represent yeah, all sides like they don't have their own mind anymore they don't have the independence they don't have they're, they're no longer able to provide that unbiased view when they when they're so heavily reliant on the government and and I mean let's not tiptoe around it we're talking about money here they are the top you know, funders of what we see on our TVs. Mm. Uh, how can we say that they are not involved in what is shown? That's just ludicrous. They are the governing body. Yeah. The government paid media, someone said the other day to me, they're now advocates for the government. They're not reporters. They anymore. are, yes. So when Absolutely. you looked at the Hawke's Bay reporting, if you did, not many people, interestingly, are watching mainstream media anymore. And this is the reason why, because they know that it's sold out. I mean, I think Joe Rogan just called them whores. You know, that mainstream media around the world have become whores for the governments. They have. Yeah, it's, he, he didn't hold back at all. But if you watched the coverage of Hawke's Bay, was there anything that approximated what you were seeing and experiencing on the ground? Or did you not see mainstream coverage in this period? No, I was far too busy, I'm afraid. I did not see any <laughs> mainstream coverage. You didn't waste your time on things, on fairy no, stories. I don't have time to sit and watch TV. I've got diggers what to drive. What shocks me is the dearth of reports. To me, a good media would be having ongoing reportage from Hawke's Bay because this is a story that, that isn't going to be a year-long story or 18 months it'll be going on for two years and it needs to have a regular presence in a in a media of of integrity which we don't have. Okay so back to the back to the people stories. Let's cut to the one you sent me, the property owner Pete, who asked some very good questions. Tell us about Pete before we play this. So Pete is actually the father of Victoria, so same property, he was up there on the roof as well. Now Pete, he is not afraid to speak his mind that one, he, he calls it as it is, he, yeah, he, you know, what you see is what you get, he doesn't beat around the bush, he tells you how it is and it's it's absolutely great because that's what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. And the questions that he asked were very, very important and relevant questions. 
why is he, as a homeowner who has so much damage from this flood, being turned down for financial support from government agencies? It doesn't make sense. Let's cut to that. And just while you watch and think, imagine if we had Pete style Kiwis in government instead of these propagandas oh spin, spin and spun and spinning uh, bureaucrats trying to run us with rubbish. Let's have a look at Pete. This is this is Pete. He's the owner of the property here uh, on Ellen Road. Yeah, kia ora. Pretty sad. Um, the fact that it was hours and hours later when we were evacuated, you know, like about up past 4.45, if they knew that we need to get out at six o'clock in the morning, would have been nice to have been told. You'd think, because there's an entire absolute, community. Absolutely yeah? criminal. You know? It's it and that's uh, that's the dishonest side of things that, that makes me feel sad for everybody in this area. That they did not give us the warning that we deserved. We deserved that. Oh, he's wonderful, Zeb. He's so honest. He really is. You just he's know someone great. like that. You wouldn't get, if you asked him what a woman was, you'd get a straight answer. You wouldn't. Oh, you my wouldn't gosh. Get... Actually, I wouldn't mind asking him that question. We could ask learn him. a bit from Pete. Next time he's here. <laughs> but, but despite the, the resilience, the apparent resilience and the fire in his belly, what a horrific thing to find that at the very point when he, obviously qualifies on every category for help he's being That's turned right. down so again what were the locals saying about this the parsimonious way that the red cross was doling out maybe the minimal amount of money when so many kiwis trusted them and gave to them i have always in the past trusted the red cross for me no more after watching them with their response to the floods um what were people saying locally zeb about the the money and the and the handouts. Did you come across any who were receiving real help from the government financially? No, not one person. And I was asking. I was definitely asking. Uh, all I heard was just disappointment and that one overarching question. Where is the money? Where is it? People have donated it from around New Zealand to go directly to those who have been flood affected. The flood affected are saying, where is it? My God. There are so many questions. This will need an inquiry, really. This will need a full inquiry. What about local government in the area, Zeb? What were you getting about that? There was a lot of disappointment. There was a lot of disappointment in the sense that uh, property owners were expected to clear their properties of mud and silt. But not only that, local government expected them to remove every single item of trash from their piles of silt before they would come and collect it. They wanted every little plastic bottle cap picked out of these mountainous piles of silt that were taller than houses. Oh, or they would joking. not come and pick it up. <laughs> like, this rubbish has come in off the floodwaters. This rubbish isn't, doesn't even belong to these homeowners. Sometimes on some work sites, I would have up to a dozen people working just picking out trash out of piles. That was it. It was such a waste of resources. Uh, it's disgusting. People are paying rates so that they get support from the central body when they need it. Why do you think it has, is like this? Why do you think this level of corruption at the, at the upper echelons of New Zealand? What's your theory, Seth? My theory is it all comes down to money, Liz. At the end of the day, people are motivated by money. 
they're motivated motivated by deposits in their bank account. And if they can get a bigger deposit in their bank account by doing something differently, then they probably will. Explain that in the context of not collecting the silt if it has rubbish in. What are you meaning money there? What part does that play? Well, if they don't have to pay for someone to remove the rubbish themselves, then and they're saving a whole themselves. lot of money by forcing by forcing homeowners to do it because if they don't do it, then it won't be picked up. But where is the compassion? There's just no compassion in these organisations. Well, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many questions. There's not enough answers. What is going on here? It's just so confusing. What's it like to deal with the silt? Is it wet and boggy or did it dry out and become dusty or was it both? Different sites had had different consistencies of mud and silt on their properties. In the earlier days, the majority of it was was very muddy. And I the only way I can sort of describe it is it's kind of like quicksand. And I've never been in quicksand, but it felt like quicksand. Your boot would go down and sometimes it would go down past the knee and you're stuck. You can't get out on your own. Wow. There's no way. If you don't, it's it's like it forms this immediate suction around your around your boot and your leg and you just you can't move at all and it's like the more you move if if there wasn't ground down there you know you you would keep going down it's it's kind of scary and the look of it you don't actually know what it's going to be or what it's going to do until you actually step foot on it because some of it can look really solid and then you step foot on it and you just go through into a liquidy mess what is actually in it, Seb? What's it? What's it comprised of? Oh, I don't know. I I so don't it's know. Not just it's it's very very clay. muddy. It's dirt. It's silty. It's got heaps of, you know, wood and waste all through it. Mm. Um, it's it's very soft. It, it's not. It's not hard matter. It's mm. yeah. It's 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 bad. It's yuck. It's Could it be nice. fertile? And the smell. Oh my gosh. Is the smell terrible? Well, the smell is pretty bad. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What do you put that down to? What do you put the bad smell down to? Stagnancy, mm. dead critters, mm. um, in homes. You know the mold factor, the the moisture smell. That you know how everything smells musty and yuck. Mm. Rotting food, freezers that have been destroyed but still had food in them, and now it's kind of yuck. The the three sheep that are still sitting in the backyard decomposing yeah everything Mm. somebody said they're looking to build um bricks out of some of this stuff and and maybe able to make them into kind of uh ecological bricks you haven't heard that story yeah no i have to look into that that's a cool idea i wonder if there's a way to use it but meantime if it was supposedly clear of all rubbish the council would come and ship it away from the the gate would they so you had to wheelbarrow it out but you guys had to wheelbarrow it out, or the families had to wheelbarrow it out. The families were expected to take care of how it happened. Uh, we were using more diggers and tip trucks, but a lot of other people who didn't ac- have access to that sort of stuff were, yes, they were using wheelbarrows and shovels and load by load by load. It just keeps rooting back for me to where were the army, where was the military presence to help and when you said before the looters could come through, there was a question there too. How come the, the, the boat was stopped when he wanted to get to his family, when he wanted his friends to get to the family on the roof, was stopped by the police? But why are the police not stopping the looters? Did you have any questions with the police about that? Did you ask them? I didn't talk to the police about it myself. 
I just heard the multitudes of complaints from property owners who were on the phone to police daily. Uh, Karen, as I mentioned, uh, is a police officer. And so she was on the phone to fellow officers quite a number of times trying to get it sorted. Uh, she was not happy at all with the response. Um, locals were promised that there would be roadblocks at, at every entrance to the area of Pakofai. There are two main entry points and they were to be blocked. Uh, I don't know if a couple of road cones and a sign count as a roadblock. People just drove over them, literally oh, over sick. them. Um, there were promises from police that the roadblocks would be manned overnight, every night. I just must have got lucky every time for 20 times driving past and no one's there. Maybe they were there, just not the 20 times I came through. Oh, yeah. Another question from what we've canvassed too. Any, did you see any signs of human bodies floating? Because we had those reports and, and there just has not been a way to get to the bottom of those stories. And there are things that I've been told, but because I can't verify them about um, some groups of possible overseas people who were there, but until we can verify that, I don't think it's responsible to put that out there. But did you see any human bodies? I absolutely heard about it. I'm in a similar position to yourself, Liz, where I've heard these things, but I've not been able to verify anything. Therefore, I've not reported on anything. No, I did not see anything, any human dead remains or dead bodies in my time that I was there. In terms of reported, in terms of stories, we have to leave that with a question mark over, but not turn our backs on it. There is, it's like that thing of to be continued. This story needs to be dug into. People who might know, if you can write to me, I would very much appreciate because now we depend on one another. Our media is not doing the deep diving. Politicians are not telling us the truth. So we are dependent on each other. And this is the crux of the Hawke's Bay story, isn't it, Zeb? This is where... We bypass our government and see how, how utterly inept and useless they are. And it's a time now for Kiwis to help other Kiwis and to keep helping over the coming year. Do you think that's a fair summary? I absolutely think it's time that we look after ourselves. We need to set up our own systems, put our own infrastructure in place to be able to look after ourselves because we can no longer rely on once we, what we once thought we could. There are other ways apart from Agenda 2030 to look after our earth in this country. And I can't find a New Zealander who wants the World Economic Forum version of looking after our earth. I can't find one who, who supports Agenda 2030 as the response. But we will need to look after one another as these climate crises are pushed out at us. Yes. What are your ways, Zeb? What do you recommend? What do you think Kiwis can do instead of just being left by this interview? Oh, my God, it's terrible to see what's going on. Yes, they can come down and help bring a, a shovel and some gumboots and raincoat and get in there and knock on doors and raise money for them. But what else can Kiwis do to help our Hawke's Bay and Gisborne brothers and sisters? And let's not forget West Auckland. I feel always bad leaving out West Auckland, who are still suffering as well. What can we do? The people of Hawke's Bay are still really needing help with diggers and excavators and tip trucks to clear their properties. If you know someone who runs an organisation that may be able to help, maybe put in the good word, they could really do with a few bits of machinery down there. They're going to be going for a long time. A lot of people think this is over. 
no, there is still so much work to be done. Also, the likes of uh, container homes, sleepouts, caravans, portable showers, portable toilets, things like that. You know, these these people in these communities are just so off the grid now. They don't have access to the most basic things like a shower. Uh, you know, if you've got a spare caliphant at home, send it through. You know, the people of Hawke's Bay really need sort of those sort of things at the moment. In, in my opinion. From Composting toilets would be something. Composting toilets. Definitely. Where are they staying if their houses are really unlivable at the moment? Where where did these people move to while the, the houses were cleared of silt? What happened? A lot of them are with friends and families. Some have gone out of town. I know of a few families that are split up. You know, one of the kids has to stay here, another kid's there, dad's over there, mum's somewhere oh, else. So traumatising. But, you know, they've tried to bring them back together. They've asked for help and support from local government. Local government have told them they will happily put cabins on their land. That is a plan for the near future. However, these families will still be expected to pay market rent for these cabins on top of the mortgages for the homes they can no longer live in. And that's the other thing we haven't canvassed, the people with orchards, with plants. There were so many stories coming out in the early weeks saying, if we, again, the military and the police, could get in and dig around these tree trunks, the trees could have been saved. They they wouldn't have been That's sort right. of strangulated by this silt. But that didn't happen, did it? Except from some volunteers going in, Zeb. That's right, yes. As far as I'm aware, yeah. Did you talk to many orchardists? So I was contacted by quite a number of people who had orchards that needed to uh, be cleaned out. They needed, you know, the soil dug out from around all these trees. And unfortunately, I actually had prioritise the people in the homes over the orchards so we weren't able to get to many at all I think we only did one uh, but the you know the, the heartfelt call for help to those sort of places you know people were explaining to me that these are their livelihoods that these are oh. this is what they rely on and have done so for generations and, and having to say no was very 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 hard very hard Honest, if I could have been everywhere, I would have. I honestly, so many people when I interviewed about the the COVID um, vaccination injuries, people's comment when I said, what do you think of our Dern would say, how does she sleep at night? Well, I asked Chris Hipkins here, how do you sleep at night? How do you sleep in your comfortable bed knowing our family, our brothers and sisters, our Kiwi family are suffering still and winter is coming on and you could have ordered the army and and Navy to help, really get in there and help. I don't get it, Zeb. I just don't get it. There are other odd things. Let's talk about the Pakawai uh, resident who queried um, this decision to send an, an excavator between six and seven in the morning. What was this story about that you captured? Tell us, set this one up and we'll cut. So, so the council admitted in this community meeting with Pakofai residents, uh, they were questioned as to, you know, whether the rumour was true. We'd been hearing that an excavator or a digger had been sent out to a point of the stock bank to burst it on purpose. Someone stood up in the meeting and asked, you know, is this true? Was a digger sent out, you know, with the intention of blowing the bank? And long story short, the council said yes. Yes, we sent, a, we organised a contractor, we sent a digger out uh, to the point in the stock bank that was, according to them, purposefully built to be burst if needed. Uh, and it was sent out there between six and seven in the morning. The residents were not advised whatsoever. 
they were not told that there was a possibility that the council was going to blow the stock bank on purpose. The council are maintaining that they did not blow it, that it blew before they had the opportunity to blow it themselves or before they had made the call to blow it themselves. So they didn't actually do it. But the point is the intention was there. Mm. Having that option on standby and not telling the residents of an entire suburb that their lives are at risk is just lower than low. Absolutely. And this remember, this is at the height of the storm. So all the rains are coming in. They're already worrying, aren't they, about everything happening to their houses? <sighs> I feel like there's some... Be- should be some sort of criminal charge there. Over here. Um, if what the talk, I'm hoping it's only talk, is someone said that there was a decision to blow the bank. Is that correct or not? Are you guys just hiding from that? Uh, no, not absolutely hiding, so I can tell you all about that. So there is a section of stock bank downstream from Waiheke Marae, uh, and that's been constructed so it has a spillway segment, so it's not about blowing it up. That wasn't the question. Did you guys blow the bank and not send contractors out to dig the bank away to relieve the pressure so Napier and Taradale wouldn't be hit. So, so that's what I'm explaining. So that section of Stock Bank is downstream from Waiheke Marae at uh, cross-section 19 in the scheme. It has a spillway in it that can be removed with an excavator. Did you do it? No. So an excavator was mobilised to give us that option. Okay, so that was at what time? Six o'clock, I was told. So that was early in the morning, yeah, about six or seven o'clock. How many people in this room did you ring that day to, to, to tell them to get out and make So the response was that it wasn't done. That's incredible. That is absolutely beyond irresponsible into, into uh, yeah, criminal negligence, totally. Mm. So what's the feeling like in Pakafai? Is there real anger? Yeah, what is the feeling where, where you go if you bring up the government? Is there a feeling of anger? Because I can feel it as we talk. There is a lot of anger. Yes, it's sort of beyond the point of disappointment in their response. It is anger. It is blunt, upfront anger. As if, as if they've somehow done it on purpose. I don't know. But it feels intentional mm. that they have chosen not to respond appropriately to this emergency. This really needs to be front and centre in the campaign for who will get in, onto the government benches. And, my God, we need some people to completely radically change the way this country is run. I'm going to put here also, where is the opposition? Where are ACT and national standing up and putting the government, holding them to account and standing with these people of Hawke's Band, advocating for a lot of help for them. Were you aware ever of any of the opposition parties coming in, Seb? I wasn't aware of any parties coming in 
to be honest. Well, that's what they did at Freedom Village. They all just stood back and let it all happen and let the people suffer. The other ones, there are so many wonderful little bits. I did want to, before we finish, talk about property owner Kirsten. Set this one up as well oh, for us. Kirsten, it's so beautiful the way you the way you go, Zeb. It's like you're just in love with these Kiwis. She's just the most beautiful soul, and she was just so blown away. I remember her telling me that that she had no idea what to expect when this Zeb Jackson crew said they were going to come in and give them a hand you know we went in and checked out the property and said well we can do this and this and this but I don't think they realized the extent of what we could actually achieve in one day and it, it was amazing the transformation was huge and it, it was beautiful and what I love so much about the team I was working with was that there were there were there was not a single element of in-house drama everybody was just working in harmony with everybody else you know they saw something that needed to be done they got it done you know it was it was just so beautiful the working atmosphere was just so wholesome and loving yeah that's such it, a it was. positive way to be drawing this interview to a close give us that uh, that idea what could you achieve in a day well we'd come in we'd, we'd have three diggers with us maybe a couple of tip trucks and stuff and we would have them running the entire day when our heavy machinery manager or coordinator Marty was with us he actually turned to me on one occasion and he said did you know that if these people had to pay for this work to be done themselves it would cost them about $25,000 just for the one day wow. and I was like I had no idea no idea um so it just sort of solidified the huge impact that we are actually making for these these people because I guess I was a little bit ignorant to those sort of things, not having ever worked with machinery before, not knowing the cost of it to the people who would have to do it themselves. Uh, it was it was mind-blowing. It was eye And so by the end of the day, what, the property might look cleared out, there'd be a path to the door, the house might be cleared out. Was it that kind of transformation over a day? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I was also the majority, not all of the homeowners I worked with, but the majority, including Kristen, uh, Kirsten, um, I was transferring $1,000 into their accounts to leave them with because I acknowledged the fact that they would have ongoing cleanup costs. Um, I was also leaving diggers behind sometimes if an owner knew how to operate one I would leave it behind and pay for the following day for the digger just so he could keep working and my team could go off and work somewhere else there was a lot of background stuff going on Zeb were you paying for the the hireage of of a lot of this machinery uh, it was coming out of the donated funds my god we need money to go into your account that's my feeling listening to you you are you're a natural reporter by the way you are just the we need to get you into mainstream media when we toss out all the rotten ones you are a natural you've got high integrity real curiosity zero ego and you really want to tell the true stories and you have a heart for the people you have all the qualities the finest qualities but I also feel that if money came into you and people could contact you directly with equipment those resources finally would find a home where that that help would would rapidly go out into the community unlike the red cross unlike the funds given to the government to help people would you be up for that zeb or is it too much if this if lots of people send you money saying either put the note for you personally zeb or for for hawks bay people just put a little note with your donation would you be up for that if if we ask for that i think i absolutely would be 
Yeah. Do you still have a network through there where you could get the money out? I do. I definitely still have a network. And once I've finished uh, with all my repairs and stuff on my bus and my car, I am planning to head back there. If somebody has equipment, though, Zeb, can they contact you? What's the best address? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Flick me an email, zebjacksonlive at gmail.com. The... In particular, equipment like diggers, tip trucks, and bobcats are just like, I'll love you forever. (laughs) Are you going to be going back there, Zeb? You you do think you will once you get this the repairs done to your house? Yes, yeah. So I've got I've just got my car back a couple of days ago, and I've got my bus in the shop at the moment, picking it up on Monday, and it's booked into another shop on Tuesday. Yeah, I just got so much work to get done on them. But once it's done and all sorted, I've got my life sorted, then I can come back and keep helping Hawke's Bay. That's that's what I hope to do. When I was talking about the looters, I alluded to the fact that real happiness comes not from taking. It certainly doesn't come from stuff. Having a whole lot of stuff around you doesn't bring happiness. No. Did you, despite the horrors of all of this, even that PTSD you've been working through, did you also feel a tremendous sense of fulfillment as you did this work there? Absolutely. The blessing is definitely in being able to give. Mm. That I I get, I, I feel so blessed being able to do that, but more so I feel blessed that these property owners have allowed us to come in and help. Mm. Because, you know, it's quite hard to get over that pride and that humbleness and allow someone to come in and work on your property, you know, getting nothing in return whatsoever. So, yeah, just just blessed in so many different ways. Yeah, and none of them financial. You can't possibly (laughs) say all the names, but would you like to name some of the names? You mentioned, I think, Marty. Was it Marty on one of the diggers? But do you want to say the names of some of the people? Just the first names. We can't say all of them, but just to acknowledge. Penny Edwards, Marty for his heavy machinery knowledge, Penny, uh, Kaya and Rook, who were just amazing team lead supports. Those four people were my absolute rocks. Beautiful. And I think we'll go out on Kirsten for Kiwis wanting to go there. Is it going to be okay for them to find places to go and where they can help? I think that's my final question before we end this interview on the lovely Kirsten. Is it is it yeah. easy to find a place to stay if you want to take your gumboots and shovel and go and help? What I would say to anyone looking at going in there to help would be to make sure you have your accommodation sorted before you go there. If you have your own motorhome or something, van, something to stay in like that, that would be the most suitable option because, you know, thinking about all the displaced people that are already in Hawke's Bay struggling for housing, please don't go into Hawke's Bay with the intention of, you know, renting a room or boarding at a house that's really needed by those displaced people already in Hawke's Bay. Go in with your own sort of means of accommodation. So that's why I say if you've got access to a motorhome or a caravan or a van that you can sleep in, those are probably the best options so that you're not taking from the people already struggling in Hawke's Bay. Um, There's definitely someone you can reach out to when you get to Hawke's Bay if you want to dig in and help. I would definitely send you along to to touch base with Penny Edwards. Thank you, Penny Edwards, wonderful woman as well. And that's right, people could rent a motorhome and go down for a week and make it something where they could, gosh, even have some of the locals into the little motorhome for a dinner. Or What about food? Do they need food? Are they okay with food? 
Food's pretty good. Uh, at the beginning there, I was encouraging everybody to bring enough food for however long they were going to stay in Hawke's Bay because supermarket shelves were just empty as. And, uh, you know, delivery trucks were struggling to get into Hawke's Bay. But with the roads reopened, everything's fine in Hawke's Bay. You can purchase everything you need without hassle and without putting an extra strain on those already living in the bay. So that's absolutely fine. And your final words before Kirsten, what is your message to every Kiwi who's reached out with money or moral support or love or physical support on the ground? What is What are your final words here? Oh, honestly, New Zealand, just thank you so much. Without your trust, without your, you know, constant support, whether that be financial or on the ground or anything in between, without you at home, even, even just liking and sharing a video and spreading that awareness, without you guys, I would not have been able to do what I did and what I plan to continue to do so thank you thank you thank you so much from the bottom of my heart I really mean that where can they find you uh Zeb Jackson Live can be found on Facebook and TikTok and Telegram yes beautiful Zeb you are you Kirsten who we're going to see is special you are also an extraordinary Kiwi you're a very very special one and I've felt so honored to talk to you Thank you for what you've done. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate you so much. How you feeling, girlfriend? This is our owner, Kirsten. I just... It's alright, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we made you cry, but I'm glad it's tears of happiness. I can't... I Thank you. Oh, 